And you still need to learn and you still need to have the knowledge because even those random people that do win the lottery, they lose it all because they don't have the knowledge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Learn With Us. We are 303, Juan Pablo speaking. We got Amanda, Connor, and Alita with us today, as always. Hey, guys, what's up? What are we talking about again? <laughs> the Richest Man in Babylon. Dude, the greatest of all books. By our man, George S. Carlson. Mr. George S. Carlson. I don't think he wrote it, though. He just, these were um, flyers that the banks were giving out to to customers so that they wouldn't screw up their money. And he just put them all together, I think. Still takes work. Commendable, too. because No one else did. A hundred years after, we're still reading them. Where did you get the bank flyer thing? I think it says at the end. It says right here. Originally a series of separate informational pamphlets distributed by banks and insurance companies. The pamphlets were bound together and published in book form in 1926. Oh, I see. That's super interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna literally about to be like, oh, interesting. Yeah, like, if, if you, I, yeah, like, it's like, oh, they wanted people not to, not to mess up their money. Because I almost today, it seems the opposite. They want you to mess up your money so they can take it all from you. See, I don't think that's the case, though. I don't think that's the case. I think that's a, I actually think that's a misconception. misconception. Like, yeah. Like, if you go to the bank, they'll actually help you get it right according to the the, the rules we have right now. I guess you, you could be right because I've never physically walked into a bank and been like, help me. No, if you go to them with a plan, they say, all right, let's see what we need to get the plan going. And then they look at it and then, you know, tell you what you need to do to get it better. So we, last time we talked about investing. No, or LIGO multiply. Oh yeah, it was LIGO multiply. Yeah, investing. Have you guys been keeping up with the budgets? We haven't updated it any. Okay. Unfortunately. That was less than two of the budgets. And then the first one, save. Live below your means. I think we're really good at that one now. No, that, we went to dinner the other day and Amanda looked at the prices and then like, do you want to just get one meal and we'll split it? And she's like feeling weird. Like, oh, we're being cheap. I'm like, no, it's just that I've opened your eyes. And now that you see the money being spent, you can't just be like, oh, let's blow $100 on dinner tonight. That sounds stupid. Let's get a $20 meal, split it and call it good enough. Yeah. Eventually, eventually we're going to get to where we can spend $500 on dinner. I was going to say, take the whole family out for dinner. Anyone who wants to come. That's the goals. But we have to... You put that quote up on uh, Twitter the other day, I think it was, where it was, beans now, steak later. Yes. (laughs) I I was reading it laughing. Beans now, steak later, yeah. Just same idea. It's important, though, to keep in mind that it, if you work on it, it it does happen. Like, you'll have beans now, but then you will get to the point where you can have steak. Continuing the metaphor. I hope that's everybody's goal. Really, is that you got to struggle for a little to get to get to the end? I guess I can't think of a better. You have to make sacrifices. Yeah, it's because we picked up certain habits that didn't really belong to our current situation. Like we have to abandon them and then pick them up again in the future when we're when we're ready for them, when we're actually ready for them. No, that's a good point because people always freak out that we were talking about the budget the other day that they can't budget in their things, but you can future budget if you do it right. You you know that you're going to want to always go sailing or whatever. It's not that you don't start buying your boat now. You start putting it into the budget. You don't ever plan on never doing anything with your life. Future budgeting, I like that. Even the rich budget. It's the only way they keep it. Yeah, that's why they have accountants. They ask their accountants, hey, can I afford this jet? <laughs> Before they buy it. I guess you're right. And sometimes the accountant is like, uh, no, we're not doing that today. <laughs> Yo, that's a good point. No, that, <laughs> that is a good point. It really is. Yeah, it's like Arkad said, there's limits to everything I can do. And he was the richest man in Babylon, but he still said, I cannot eat all the food, visit all the cities. It's I, I cannot. It's you know, there's always limits. I don't know. If you're Elon Musk though. I don't think he has a limit. Even his time. 
That's oh, true. Okay. Yeah, he well, can't. He's no he can only be but, at one building at a time. But somehow he works thirty six hours a day, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was kind of just saying he has no limits because he's literally shooting rockets into space. So I'm Dude, just saying he... he he shot his car in a rocket into <laughs> left it there for <laughs> the aliens. car of the car. Yeah. Really? You never seen yeah. the Tesla what? in space? I no, I didn't know that. <laughs> He would. I, I didn't know that either. <laughs> it was the very first. I was going to say, was the very like, first he's like, oh, I'm going to build a rocket, and then I'll leave my car there. For the people who want to buy my car, and they'll know I have a rocket. It's a win-win. He can say his car is out yeah, of this like world. Cross marketing. Is there still a Tesla floating in space? Right now? Yes. Well, yeah, how are you going to catch it? There's no tow truck. <laughs> He'll probably go up there with... A spaceship eventually that has a net. That'd be hilarious. No, I don't know. They're just gonna like shove it into the sun and forget about it. For what purpose? Dude, can you imagine? You, I, I can okay. see like uh, I don't know, Superman or somebody just flying in space, <laughs> or or just maybe humans in two hundred years and they just crash against the Tesla out of nowhere. No. What the? Hell? Dude, I just got in a car accident. Like how? How did you possibly get in a car accident? You're in space. <laughs> The first accident in space. I know. That's There's probably like a little Marvin the Martian up there driving it around. We're, we're, we're gathering inspiration from the great ones that came before us. Did he die? <laughs> Am I? No, but he's is he older. older than me? <laughs> yeah, he's like 16. No, no, he's, he's not. not. I thought he was in his yeah. 40s. No. Oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. How old is Elon Musk? 50. Elon Musk is 51 okay. years old. What? Whoa. I, thought he, I thought he was like 35. Dude, yeah, he's a good looking man. I thought he was like 40 something. All right, we should refocus. All right, so the fourth cure. Yeah, today we're doing the fourth and fifth cure. Yeah, we're trying a different format. So the context is that in old Babylon, at one point, a lot of the richest, all of, well, most of the money in the city went to just a few people who became super rich. And then the the king said, whoa, this cannot, this is not right. We have to find out what happened. So the advisor said, I think the reason this happened is because the not everybody knows how to how to make, keep the money. So the king said, all right, let's start a school. And then they invited the richest man in the city, who was our cat at the time. And then he started the school and he he's teaching seven cures to stop being poor, basically. Uh, or he calls them seven cures for a lean person. So one lesson per day. We're doing two today. As Alita put it, not to be broke. How not to be <laughs> broke, yeah. I think it starts how not to be broke, then how to get rich, and then how to maintain your wealth. I think those are the three logical steps. No, that makes sense. You were saying that there's different levels, but maybe that's why. Because you only need five rules at first, and then you need a couple more, and then you may not need as many for the investing part. The other thing is that this guy is teaching, it's what he's focusing on, it's it's the pillars, He's not doing specific lessons. He's not saying invest in the S&P 500. He's saying you have to find a way to get your money to work for you, which is which is like the spirit of of the lesson. Do you think that's a time like because he was back in the day or he just wanted it to be as basic as possible so that it could fit everybody? He so I think in this particular instance, he wanted to be as basic as possible. But then later in the in the book, they talk about how people made money, for example, buying sheep, and then they would turn the sheep hair into wool, and then they would sell that wool to people who would make rugs. But then what happened at one point, some dude found some beautiful sheep in a different continent or in a different country. So he bought those and he needed a loan. So that's kind of how he explained the business idea of it. So the guy gets the loan, buys this beautiful sheep that existed nowhere else. He brings them to Babylon and makes beautiful rocks that nobody else ever, that nobody had ever seen. So that's how he made more money selling just regular rugs. Uh, well, not regular rugs, but just 
selling rugs. So that's kind of a specific idea on how to invest. But it's rugs and sheep. No, I like that because it shows your, even if the market's saturated, as long as you have a product that's better it, or can be made cheaper or whatever the difference is that you can still make money. Don't just be like, oh, well, there's already 10 people selling. You have to give up. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think, I think it, it's, it would make it easier if you think of, all right, so what am I doing? Let's say you're doing, um, uh, shoot. You could keep know. the rug. Now. Let's say you're doing vegetables. Okay. Let's say you're doing rugs. So instead of, instead of looking at your, uh, instead of looking at rugs and saying, God, there's already five companies that sell amazing rugs. Think of how much money are people spending in rugs? And then you'll see, holy cow, there's millions, hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on rugs. And then if you think of that instead, you can re you, then you start to realize there's always a way that I can grab a few of those millions or even, even just a few thousands at first because there's just this amount of money being spent in the, instead of, oh, there's this few players playing the game. You focus on the goal rather than, you know, whatever. I mean, you still have to focus on your competition, but. Well, couldn't you also look at another way too as what makes me different than the other companies? That's another For way. Sure. Yeah. No, that's, that's the part you got to focus on. Not so much as your product. Not that your product doesn't matter after you've done the research and you figured out which one is going to make you the money. Then you need to say, what about my product can stand out? Yeah. Yeah. But, but. But the, the the idea that, oh, there's 10 people doing this already, or there's, or like, yeah, there's 10 people doing this already. That means there's no way it's going to work for me. That's false because you have to think of the money that's being spent. There's, there's just so much money going on, like cars, everything, everything. That is true. There is so many dealerships that, and they all have so many cars. You look at them and you think, how do they even sell all of those cars? Like, yeah. where do all those cars even go? Yeah, it, because there's thousands of cars being bought every day that we don't re that we just don't realize because we're not thinking about that. Hmm. No, you're blowing my mind right now. Really, anything could be sold as long like, as people are willing to buy it. Then there's a market for it. Exactly. Like, and, and for example, like even more specific, let's talk about like vegetables. Right now, there's I, well, in every state, there's one big vegetable distributor that will distribute food to almost all the restaurants in the state. Let's say there's three because there's always competition. There's always at least two people competing for the top. So you would say, oh, my God, if I want to sell vegetables, that means I'm going to have to compete with these guys that have trucks and can sell their product super cheap. And they're always there and everybody knows about them because they're so huge and they have teams of people. But then it could be that that thing that makes them big is actually something that you can uh, turn around and look at as, oh, that's actually a flaw of them because they're so big. They take all the food and it's impossible for them to deliver it fresh. So you go around and you say, look, I have this product that's going to be a little more expensive, but it's always going to be fresh. And then that's how you compete. And then at the same time, you realize in vegetables, there's billions, billions of dollars being spent every year just on vegetables in the United States. So even, even though there's people who are getting a lot of that money, there's still so much more that you can grab. If you just decide to play the game and not let the big players scare you. No, if anything, like you're saying, being big could almost be a problem because when you call customer service, you're going to have to be online for five hours. And you call the guy who's one person by himself, he's going to answer the phone right away when you have a problem. Oh, let me fix that. I'll get right to you. The company's like, oh, we'll send someone in three weeks and they'll come check it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's another way. There's too. always something that you can offer plus the product. Yeah. So when people when people talk about business, they look at two things. They say, all right, what is the amount of money being spent yearly and how much is it going to grow in 10 years? And then they look at they look at 
I'm sorry. How much money is it being spent right now? And then how much is it going to be spent in 10 years? And then they look at that and then divide it. And then they say, okay, this industry has a 1% yearly growth or a 2% yearly growth. And if if there's growth in this, in that industry, it probably means that you can get in it and grab some of that. Well, and I feel like you don't necessarily need to, you don't need as much money as what some of the other massive companies are making to be successful and to keep your business. So you don't have to compete with the amount of dollars that they're making necessarily. I mean, you still want to make money, but Mm -hmm. you don't have to always be on the same um, scale as they are. Yeah, I like that because you don't need to base yourself off of, oh, well, Tesla just made $500,000 this year. I've only sold two cars. Like, don't worry about them. You're worried about your business, your product. Yeah, it's like, do you need to make, you know, do you need to make $10 million or maybe you just make $2 million, but that might be fine for you and your company. Well, a lot of people don't think about this when someone says, oh, this company had $10,000 this year. That doesn't mean that's their profit either. Because Elon was going over this on BBC the other day that they're accusing him of having all this money. And he's like, no, that's how much it made. That's not how much it cost me to run the company or any of that. Like that's, you're not, you're not calculating for the people I had to pay to do everything. Like I don't want to give numbers cause I don't know the specific, but mm-hmm. no. Yeah. I get, I know what you're saying though. Yeah. They look at the net. What is it? The net worth, but that's not actually how much money they have. No, yeah. That's all. Yeah. It never is. Well, even on a smaller scale, though, wouldn't that be like with your rental? You can't say you make $1,500 a month on on that because don't you have expenses that come out? Your taxes. Yeah, there's there's taxes and there's always expenses. Yeah. It's never pure profit. The cost of operation. Cost of well, maintenance. The people who are complaining obviously don't pay attention to all of that. Through no fault of their own, often. Other times, they're blindfully ignorant. Yeah, they just don't know. Mm -hmm. No, because you see big numbers like that. It's hard not to instantly lose sight of everything else. You're like, that guy just made $200,000. That guy made $2 million. Or even react when someone wins the lottery. And you're like, that person just won $98,000 billion. And you're like, they only brought home six. (laughs) And then, yeah. You're like, what? Should we get to the book? I think we should do like a segue somehow. A what? A segue? Like, so yeah, let's jump right into it. Okay. So this is the fourth key. All right. It's Guard Thy Treasures from Loss. I'm going to read the first part. It says, Misfortune loves a shining mark. Gold in a man's purse must be guarded with firmness, else it be lost. Thus it is wise that we must first secure small amounts and learn to protect them before the gods entrust us with larger. So spoke Arkad upon the fourth day to his class. Mm. Every owner of gold is tempted by opportunities whereby it would seem that he could make large sums by its investment in most plausible projects. Often friends and relatives are eagerly entering such investment and urge him to follow. The first sound principle of investment is security for thy principal. It is wise to be intrigued by larger earnings when thy principal may be lost. Or is it? Is it wise? I say not. The penalty of risk is probable loss. Study carefully before parting with thy treasure, each assurance that it may be safely reclaimed. Be not misled by thine own romantic desires to make wealth rapidly. Before thou loan it to any man, assure thyself of his ability to repay and his reputation for doing so, that thou mayest not unwittingly be making him a present of thy hard-earned treasure. Okay. I, I got something to say about this one. There's there's a there's a quote that I think it's well to me it means a lot. The one that says the penalty of risk is probable loss. It's the you know when you're when we read um Rich That Poor That and the guy says, Oh, I don't like it when people spread their eggs in different baskets. I go into one and then I make sure that um it's a good one and then whatever he doesn't like it when people um diversify right. mm-hmm. 
Well, I disagree with him. I, well, I think that if you're really good, then you could um, not diversify. But diversification is it just makes sense mathematically. Um, well, yeah, or even instead of spreading it into 10, maybe just do three. You should still do it a little bit. Well, the more you do it, the the more, the the better the odds are against you. If you do, let's say, if you spread out in 10, in 10 different, if you have 10 different investments, then the probability of loss gets decreased by 500%. No, also, you're saying it. Yeah, it's, because not it's everything, crazy. Well, because not it's, everything's it's going like up that. and down at the same time either. If you have everything in one basket and and that stock tanked, well, you just lost everything. Oh, that's more risky. But then if, yeah, if the math is hard, just the idea, just the idea that risk has some probable loss, if there's a probability of loss, then if you know about um, Murphy's Law, then you know that it's probably going to happen. Ideally, you want to get rid of that probability completely so that it doesn't happen because Murphy's everywhere. So I just thought I'd, I really like that quote because of that, because he makes easy. He says, look, if you risk, if you take risk, you might lose. You're like, damn, yeah, that's true. But as you're saying, the if you don't risk, I feel like you're going to lose too. You need It's a risk that you can afford. Like there might be something that could gain your money up really fast, but it's got a 30% chance it's going to fail. So maybe you only put in 3% of your money, not 50. Oh, well, that's why he said you have to study. You have to study carefully, study carefully before you invest. Like, let's take a look. Let's take, um, let's, let's, let's go specific. For example, our, our very first investments were companies that we, um, that we use their products for. Like Apple. Why do they say to do that? Yeah, why do they say to do that? They say do that because you might be thinking, oh, okay, I am only learning how to invest the moment I invest my money. But the fact that you've been using that product for so long has given you an insight on the company. Probably you know who is leading the company and if you like their products, it's probably a good product. So, So you have this, like knowledge that's not really investment related, but it's kind of fundamental for for investing. It's actually called fundamental fundamental knowledge. It's about the company itself. I never thought of that. No, me either. You kind of unconsciously learn about the company in a way. But yeah, if you're really into sneakers, you'll know which you're not going to like, okay, let's invest into this new shoe brand. You're going to invest into Nike or whatever, Puma, something that you're, you've done, you've bought your whole life, you, you know are good compared to some new brand off the street. So you're not going to buy a new stock. You're not like, who is this guy? Exactly. And you're not just buying the stock blindly. You're buying a stock that that you can testify, oh, I like this company. And that, you know, like I said, exactly, exactly. And most of the time you've been buying, say, Nikes for years. Every time you go buy a new tennis shoe, what are you buying? Nike, because that's what you like. Or I don't always go to different coffee. Oh, you know, you don't usually go to different coffee shops. You always go to Starbucks. Or if you're a Dunkin' person, you're always going to Dunkin' or so on and so on. Yeah, you don't hop around like, oh, this week I'm going to buy a new pair of shoes, whole new company. Um <laughs> do you go to walmart or target yeah it's either one or the other i only go to walmart when i'm dragged there i go to target with walmart bag. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 that's shameful i'm bad i would never <laughs> target all day every day <laughs> um i just had a point i thought when i was reading that last night uh and today it just reminded me like of this day for people or maybe just personally for me if i ever have or had in the past um a good amount of money i would think oh i'm gonna go spend it on lottery tickets thinking that i can win 10 grand and increase the 100 bucks and things like that but really just it just wasted it so Every owner of gold is tempted by opportunities where it would seem that he could make large sums by its investment in most possible projects. I know it doesn't really, he's not really referring to the lottery, but 
that made me think of that. And I feel like I struggle with that all the time. Anytime I have a bunch of, of extra cash lying around, I'm like, mm, I'm going to go buy a Powerball ticket. Well, you were saying don't be tempted by quick fates. Yeah. yeah. Quick ways to get cash. Well, well I kind of wonder if it could be sort of like the, um, well, one, like you have your, I don't know, like you have your sister, you're like, oh, come do this. It's like, well, do they even know anything on that? Like, it sounds like a good deal, but if you don't know anything about it or what you're doing, then you're probably going to lose your money. But it could also be kind of like the, uh, what is it called? The shiny syndrome where every time you look at something, you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Even into investing and spending money on all those classes that they have nowadays out there. I'll teach you this. Learn how to do this. Learn how to do this. Just give me $3,000 and you'll do this. I'll make you. I'll make you rich. No, it is super hard not to. How do you know which ones are real? I mean, I know some of them are legit them and good, 100. but how do you know which ones are the right ones to invest in? So definitely, yeah. Just just doing your research is definitely a real thing when it comes to your money. That was all I had to say. There was one more sentence to that part, but you can finish it. Oh, before thou entrust in an investment in any field acquired thyself with the dangers which may best it acquaint oh acquaint thyself with the dangers which we were all just saying that you need to know yeah that's literally what we were just talking about <laughs> you need to know before you get yourself into it our cat is going to tell us his first horrible trail i'll read for a minute uh my own first investment was a tragedy to me at the time. The guarded savings of a year I did entrust to a brickmaker named Asmer, Asmir, who was traveling over the far seas and entire, agreed to buy for me the rare jewels of the Phoenicians. These we would sell upon his return and divide the profits. The Phoenicians were scoundrels and sold him bits of glass. My treasure was lost. Today my training would show me at once the folly of entrusting a brickmaker to buy jewels. Which I remember that story. That was a good story. And he said he still trusts the brickmaker, but only for bricks. <laughs> All right, here, you read the next part. Uh, right here, therefore. Therefore do I advise thee from the wisdom of my experience, but not too confident of thine own wisdom in entrusting thy treasures to the possible pitfall of investment. Better by far to consult the wisdom of those experienced in handling money for profit. Such advice is freely given for the asking. And may readily possess a value equal to equal in gold to the sum thou consider investing. In truth, such is its actual value if it saved thee from loss. That's another great quote. Yeah, what did I wrote down? So, seek advice. Yeah, ask for help. Think safe. That's what, I do. <laughs> That's what that means, okay. <laughs> and of great importance, if it prevents thy purse from being emptied once it has become well filled, guard thy treasure from loss by investing only where thy principal is safe, where is where it may be reclaimed if desired. And where thou will not fail to collect a fair return. Consult with wise men, secure the advice of thou those experienced in the profitable handling of gold. Let the wisdom protect thy treasure from unsafe investments. This is the longest advice he's given out of all four so far. The second really long was the budget one. Yeah, but this is really important advice. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because it ain't gonna do you no good if you get a big lump sum save just to go lose it all. Yeah. Investing is kind of like the secret. If you do it right, then that's how you. That's how it gets done. That's how people make the most money is by investing, right? Well, you. I think. I think. I I personally think that people who make the most money are those who solve the biggest problems. 
please. Um, but if you don't want to create a product, then yeah, it has to be investing in other companies. And you still need to learn and you still need to have the knowledge because even those random yeah. people that do win the lottery, they lose it all because they don't have the knowledge. They should invest half of it instantly. Yeah, they just blow yeah. it on cars and houses and vacations and, the, and whatever yeah, else. And I would have done the same thing b before I read these books. Well, well, not to mention they go and they spend the money on those cars and houses and then they forget about the taxes that come along with those yeah, properties. Yeah, like, there was once uh, HGTV. I used to, for like three years in a row, I kept every day I would enter this contest to try to win this dream home that they give away every year. But then if you read the fine print, the taxes and everything on it, you couldn't. I couldn't even afford it if I won it. <laughs> so I always said I was just going to take the lump sum cash payment if I did win, which is still crazy. But that was free to enter uh, into that contest. But it was so many times people, they're like, oh, I won this house. And you're like, you can't have this house. The taxes are, you know, $30,000 a month or something ridiculous because it's a $4 billion home. That's hilarious. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. You're like, it's free. Yeah, it's either take the lump yeah. sum or get that house and immediately like, get up for sale. Just, just do your research with everything. <laughs> no, it's weird to think of because, yeah, when you hear a free house, you're like, then I'll be set. But no, that, that's oh. a free car could cost you more in the end People for insurance and everything else. They win that house and then the, the house gets taken away because <laughs> they. Yeah, if you buy a Ferrari, can you afford the upkeep? Because those things, I mean, your light bulb goes out on your front headlight. Well, how much is that going to cost you? What I would do, I would say, all right, let's say you watch three hours a day in of television, whatever, you of content. You consume three hours a day of content, which I think is nothing. We consume way more. But visual content, let's say mm -hmm. television or videos, take 30 of those three hours, 30 minutes of those three hours and then watch investing videos instead so that you start getting familiarized with the nomenclature. And then you might find people that inspire, who inspire you and then you can start reading books about them instead. But if you, if you don't take the initiative and then you don't substitute something that's all, that you're already using, then I don't think you're, you'll be able to find extra time to put onto investing, which you have to do. We, well, this this lesson is about that. It's about learning. You have to study. It's, there's just no, no way I, around it. I completely agree with you. I I've actually I've done that. Like I started way back uh, with TikTok, four hours of scrolling on TikTok, and instead I, I would find a once once in a while something investing or learning or something would pop up, and so I'd watch that one, and then I would click on videos related to that one, and and now my TikTok is entirely different. My whole TikTok is about informational things and important things and instead of like the latest dance trend, which, you know, is just more valuable yeah. to me. Wow, that is cool. That is super cool. Yeah, you kind of go down a, a positive route. Yeah, and even now my, I still scroll. I, I could still be scrolling for four hours and get distracted, but at least it's scrolling on things that are, at least to me, more valuable. Like different investment tips. Mm -hmm. I really like when I see those now, like the ones talking about the life insurance and stuff like yeah. that. See, and then now because we have we are sitting down and have this po this podcast, that's crawling that you did. Let's say, hey, you you capture one idea from that, and then those four hours become an idea that's gonna be, you know, give you profits in a different way somewhere down the line. So you're kind of investing now because it's. No, that's what I was curious. Would you consider it investing time then at that point? Because you're, it's I, a resource as much as money. I, I would say no. No, because you're not taking notes. You're not actually learning. You're still getting high off of the content. It's just a better drug. If, no, if I, I, I get what like you're trying to. Okay. But I was just going to say pause real fast, though, because there are many times, though, that something will come up now while I'm scrolling or on YouTube and I will pause it. I will stop. I will go get my notebook and a pen and I will write that down or I'll write it in a notes on my phone and save it for later because um, it is valuable, but I don't want to do it right now, but I, I'm making a list for of new ideas. Then there you go. 
there, there you go. So yep. even just start it. small with that. You don't even you don't have to sit down and devote you know a whole half an hour solid like you're in class or anything. But if you do hear a tip, stop for two seconds, write it down. Well, that's a good tip. Yeah, yeah. If if you're not writing things down, it's it's very probable that you're not actually learning or going to actually do it. Because you, you're more likely to forget. Yeah, or going to yeah. Exactly. You will forget mm -hmm. if it's not when you if you think about it, when you went to school, when you're learning something, they you have to take the notes. You have those. For notes sure. I write things down all the time and still forget to do them. I'll write things down and, and say, remind, remind me to tell Connor this later. And then I'll be like, I don't remember what I was going to tell you because I didn't even write down what I was going to say. So <laughs> make sure you take good notes. Are you guys doing the next gear? Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're doing the, the second cure. So the fifth, cure. the fifth cure. All right. Which is make of thy dwelling a profitable investment. So if a man setteth aside nine parts of his earnings upon which to live and enjoy life, and if any part of this nine parts he can turn into a profitable investment without detriment to his well-being, then so much faster will his treasures grow. So spake Arkad to his class at their fifth lesson. All too many of our men of Babylon do raise their families in unseemly quarters. They do pay to exacting landlords liberal rents for rooms where their wives have not a spot to raise the blooms that garden a woman's heart and their children have no place to play their games except in the unclean valleys. Alleys, sorry. Uh, no man's family can fully enjoy life and unless they do have a plot of ground wherein children can play in the clean earth and where the wife may raise not only blossoms but good rich herbs to feed her family. To a man's heart it brings gladness to eat the figs from his own trees and the grapes of his own vines, to own his own domicile and to have it a place he is proud to care for, putteth confidence in his heart and greater effort behind all his endeavors, Therefore, do I recommend that every man own the roof, the roof that sheltereth him and his. All right, I'll keep going. It says, nor is it beyond the ability of any well-intentioned man to own his home. Hath not our great king so widely extended the walls of Babylon that within them much land is now unused and may be purchased at sums most reasonable? Also I say to you, my students, that the moneylenders gladly consider the desires of men who seek homes and land for their families. Readily may thou borrow to pay the brickmaker and the builder for such commendable purposes. If thou can show a reasonable portion of the necessary sum which thou thyself hath provided for the purpose. Then, when the house be built, thou canst pay in the moneylender with the same regularity as thou didst pay the landlord because each payment will reduce thy indebtedness to the money lender, a few years will satisfy his loan. Then will thy heart be glad because thou wilt own in thy own right a valuable property and thy only cost will be the king's taxes. Also will thy good wife be more off also will thy good wife go more often to the river to wash thy robes that each time returning she may bring a goatskin of water to pour upon the growing things. Thus come many blessings to the man who owneth his own house, and greatly will it reduce his cost of living, making available more of his earnings for pleasures and the gratification of his desires. This, then, is the fifth cure for a lean purse. Own thy own home. This one's cool. For sure. I like this one. It kind of comes out of the blue too because you're like oh cow this is about like living comfortably like having a good a i good wasn't expecting life. it to be that good. it's almost the opposite of the book yeah. we read last time he says that your house is the biggest liability compared to this one where he's like your house is going to be your lifeline basically like your wife's going to be happier you can grow food you can she'll be bathing <laughs> yeah but it's it, it only so go for it. It's looked at from different uh different views. I mean, I personally would still prefer to have a duplex as my own home. So it was still getting um you know, I could still rent one side. That's what I'd personally have. But in the long run, your own home is still is still better than for renting. Sure. Once you own it, yeah. The the, the advice is to Yeah, I was going to say it's definitely 
the process of getting there it won't you know could it's gonna vary but once you own your home then you're got nothing but the taxes something that's good to worry about yeah Yeah, just because you have a duplex it's still you still own it it's still yours and that must make you feel really good if anything better like you're saying because you're adding the feeling of successful owning your house plus you know that it's bringing you money and i feel like you also have to make like just i feel like that would be investing in your happiness which you can't forget about that either. You can't do all of this and be miserable. So you have to make sure that you're happy. And this clearly is something that would make everybody happy. Well, yeah. And in the rules, well, even at the beginning of this, um, this rule, it, it talks about, you know, you still have your nine parts that you have set aside to live and enjoy. So it's not saying, hey, don't spend money on anything and be miserable. It's saying, no, you have your nine parts to live and enjoy your life. Now, if you have extra left over, take that extra and add it to your investments so it can grow faster. And then your own having your own house, it brings you more joy to you and your family. And it gives you more confidence. I feel like as a person, it would give you more confidence knowing, hey, I have my own home versus I have to rent this tiny, tiny apartment. And then not only that, most of the time, your living, your everyday living expenses reduce because most of the time, mortgage payments are less than what you're going to pay for rent. Absolutely. As long as, I would say, as long as you're not buying a home above your means, though, because you need to remember that too. If it's just you, your wife, and one kid, you don't need a house with five bedrooms. Right. And then on top of that, if you are renting, the money that you're giving away every month is paying someone else's mortgage and doing absolutely nothing for you. Or if you're paying your own mortgage, then you're still investing in yourself because you own that. It's yours. At the end, you'll own the house. You'll never yeah, own the rental. So no matter what, renting is like the absolute worst. <laughs> yeah, I even made a star note that says, pay to have your own home versus paying for someone else's yeah, house. Exactly. Well, renting renting has, has, a, has a purpose and value. It's not... It's not always bad. Oh, no. Situations, if you do the math and you figure out that you buying your own house is going to end up where you live, like if you're in the city, New York City or whatever, buying your own house would be probably the worst thing to do because I can't imagine what a house costs there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a market for both. There's there's market for rent and market for Then again, though, some apartments in New York City are probably $4,000 a month. So rent. you'd want to buy it to rent. So you'd want to buy that <laughs> because true. the mortgage is probably only two. Oh. Yeah. So even if your mortgage is three thousand, well, I bet honey, that's a that's less than the that's 4, also in this day and age. Rent's gone up, skyrocketed. So. Yeah. Well, you also would have more room too than a tiny little bedroom apartment. But you know, also, and I, I wrote this down to say, and I just told Juan this. I think it was yesterday. Is. Basically, once you get your debt in order and have a little bit of money set back, because if your debt's not in order, your debt's then, and which is going to mess up your credit, and then if your credit's low, like it will make it harder. So once you get your debt in order and everything, and you can still even have some debt, but I think the reason a lot of people don't try to, at least try to see if they can buy their own home is because they don't think that they can. Because everybody thinks they have to have all this money to put down on a house. And as long as you have decent credit or, you know, to to where the bank can approve you, you don't need necessarily 20% down. I mean, 20% down is going to give you lower mortgage payments. But we were just talking to the bank the other day. You can get a house with 5% down. 5% down is nothing. I mean, you're still going to have to save it, save up for it. Yeah. But I mean, on a hundred, I don't know, say a $150,000 house, a 5% down payment, I think is 7,000 something. Yeah, for sure. And there's usually, and there's generally government uh, assistance with your first house. If it's your first house, then the government will provide in- extra incentive for you to go out there and try to yeah, own there's your own a, home. Yeah, I was going to say, that's just for a conventional mortgage. I mean, there's still the HA. 
FHA. FHA. No, FHA loans. Yes. And um, then, USDA. Um, that one is no down payment. Yeah, there's those ones too. Yeah, I think FHA is might yeah, be three, I think but it, I don't know what the I think it's three per, it's three percent for a certain amount of credit and like five or six percent for another. It depends on your credit score. But as you're saying, people don't even know so anything feel, about just these two. They don't like we told people we we're gonna buy a house and everyone's like, Oh, what are you gonna do? And we're like, Oh no, you know, we oh, we've been looking into grants and they're like, Oh, I've heard about those. But you've never researched them? You've never I mean, there's even programs, uh for people who have um like public housing assistance you they they even have programs with that and they will help you buy a home and help you with the, the whole not, the whole thing the down payment and everything instead of paying your rent they will pay your mortgage and give you the house when they're done there, there's actually a program for that too i mean it's certain things you have to qualify but it's there and like wow. you didn't you don't know that yeah, until I... you find out you're like oh my goodness i didn't know that until you start learning, educating, exactly. educating yourself. Yeah, I feel like people yeah. just see the price of a home and they're like, oh, my God, I can never afford that. Which, I mean, I get like that's scary. You see you see all those hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're like, how will I ever have that money? But it's more attainable, more reachable. And than you have you to think, think of it over, what is it, 30 years? Usually. So think about like when you buy your cup of coffee, oh, that's only $10. But then... You end up spending $30,000 on that coffee in 10 years or probably even more. I mean, I didn't even do the math, but I'm just. Right. So you can't be like, oh, that's a $100,000 house. Well, no, take that and divide that by 30 years. What's it going to cost you a year for that? What's it going to cost you a month? I bet you if you did that and you did the math on how much it would cost you a year for the mortgage payments or how much it would cost you a year for your rental payments, the mortgage would almost always be cheaper. Or, yeah, I feel like. And you get in refinance. You can't, yeah. your rent's going to always go up. You can't. Yeah, and then you refinance your house. You can take money against your house. You can do all these kinds of things. Like, you can't do any of that if you rent. Well, you think about that. For your second property, you need to have the first one. So, like, you can't, oh, well, I've been renting for the last 10 years. And they're like, and? Like, oh, I bought this house. It's been paid off. Oh, well, that's something we can actually use. I actually just yeah, learned. Yeah, and about a thing talking about second houses hopefully i can find it okay yeah no so if you have a first house and you want to buy a second house there's a a thing you can do where you pull out a heloc home equity line of credit loan and you can use that to get you a second oh, really? house Dang. from having your first house and not even paid off say what now it doesn't have yeah. to be paid off. The house? Yeah. No. First one. Huh. As long as, well, okay, question. Does your house have to have gone up in value, though, in order to do that? Like, like you had to improve Like, stuff? I feel like growing up, my every once in a while, my parents would, like, like redo the kitchen, and then they'd refinance the house because the value went up $5,000, so then they put, they took that five grand, and it just, like, they it like got back onto their mortgage type of a deal. Like, they were taking loans out on it every time they did an improvement. I'm just wondering if you have to if you have, if you have to increase in value before you can do that. Yeah, I believe you would have to have some sort of equity yeah. in your home to pull out. But I mean, if you live there for two or three years before you did it, at that point your house would have built right. up some equity. Because property goes up every year, seems like. Probably at least would have been enough to put as your down payment for the next one. Well, even if it doesn't go up in value, the mortgage payments become equity. Okay. There you go. Oh, yeah, really? you paid off yeah. so much. All right, long. so you can't do it right away, but either way, no, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. To extend that point that um, it's easier to access housing, the banks also, well, actually, one of the problems that we had in the U.S. in two thousand eight was that the banks were just giving houses to everybody. You know, the banks, the banks really like it when you buy a house from them because it means that for thirty years you're going to be making payments to them. Now, whether you think that's a fair or an unfair thing, it's a different, it's a different conversation. But business, business wise, is no, good it's for beautiful. them, and it can be good for you, as we learned today, right? Yeah. Exactly. Business wise. So because of that. <laughs> they were just giving out money. They were just giving out houses. I'm sorry. And they'll kind of sort of not do that right now today, but they will be very happy to help you get to the point where you will sign a mortgage with them 
and pay the money for 30 years or whatever, 10 years, 15 years, doesn't matter. The, um, to the point where they will guide you through the process. They'll say, look, this is where you are. This is where you need to be. This is what you need to do. Or they'll tell you, you need to go to this person and then they will take, they will guide you there because it's, it's, it's helpful for everybody when people. Yeah, we're it. doing that right now. I'm, I have a great woman who's working with us and telling us everything that we need to do to get to where we want to be. Which debt needs to be paid first and which can be kept on there as you said there's i feel like you're always supposed to have a little debt in life as long as it's manageable debt well if you're too squeaky clean and have nothing they then they you know they don't know either there there's different strategies to play the game yeah do every person finds their own it's strategy. just it's hard to go out at 18 and get a a loan or or anything when you when you have no credit score either oh Hey, look, maybe next time, another episode, we can talk on how parents can help their kids so that yeah. when they're 18, they have that line of credit and they can just go out and buy their own house because it's possible. I have a really funny story about that. So, yeah, sounds like put it in notes. I was thinking of the idea of um, investment, you know, why why he considered the house an investment, but he does say it's owning, owning the house. No, that's a very key. Once you get there. Key point yeah. was you have to he made it, it clear that you have to own it. I mean, it's kind of backtracking to the fourth cure, but I only had one other thing down and it was about the brick maker because I liked how I don't and it doesn't even really say it in this part, but back in the beginning when he talks about in the story, he doesn't blame the brick maker for what happens he he blames himself because it was his own fault for for not knowing and not doing the research beforehand yeah, yeah that's a great point yeah and you know honestly i think the brick maker i don't think it was that the brick maker was lying to him i think the brick maker was just as naive as he was Ex yeah I, I totally agree with that no he probably lost just as much money i mean he was going over there for the purpose of that it's not like he was like oh i, I can really mess with our cat right now I'm going to show him. Yeah, he probably just heard, oh, they have really pretty jewels over there. Rare jewels. I'm going to go get some. And then he had no idea what he was buying. That's why he got glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's like, the his mentor asked him, so do you still get uh, advice from the brick maker? And he's like, I'm about brick making. <laughs> when I need a brick. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. There's two lessons in one day. That's... Uh, we went at it. And it's only 10.30 in the morning. Let's do another five. <laughs> no, now I can do some learning. All right. We'll catch everybody then. We're going to come back for the sixth and the seventh gear. See you all then. See ya. Have a good Peace. week.